0: and welcome to episode 37 of the Pop Culture Quorum Deo podcast. My name is Jeff Wright. I'm one of your regular hosts and I'm joined here as always with Jared Moore. Jared, brother, how are you this evening? Doing well, man. Had a good day.
1: I've been busy. It's a Lord's Day, so... Been pretty pretty wore out, but it's been a good
0: day. What about you? Uh, yeah, it was a really good day. Uh, I told told our church that particularly the song service today was really great. We sang really rich hymns, and and they were gospel rich, and the church sang well, and it was really sweet to be with them. We have a, I think I've mentioned this before. Every after every Lord's Day corporate worship, we go right down into a potluck meal, mm-hmm. and we had a, you know, we just had a good crowd down there and some really good conversation, and yeah, it was just a good time to be to be with the body. That's great, man. So, uh, what you have stumbled into here, listener, if this is the first time you've turned on the Pop Culture Quorumdale, or I guess if you're a long-term listener, uh, thanks, by the way, for those of you returning and those of you checking us out the first time, uh, this is a scheduled throwdown. Jared and I are going to get into a major fight over the subject of the movie Eighth Grade, which is our review here for this episode. But before we get to that, uh, let's get into our first section called...
1: What you watching? What you watching? What you watching? And so, Jared, what you been watching, bud? I watched the movie First Man the other day. I thought it
0: was pretty good. It's about Neil Armstrong. Yeah. Now, who stars in that? Oh, oh man! Don't pretend well, you don't know. Come on now. The,
1: I was gonna say Ryan Reynolds, but that ain't right. Uh, <laughs> it's the dude that everybody, all the girls
0: like. All the girls like. Yeah. Is it uh, Jared Moore? No Um, Come on man You know it's Ryan Gosling Quit
1: pretending Ryan Gosling Yeah There you go so that was good?
0: We, I thought it was good. It's worth watching. It's worth watching. Didn't we talk about trying to catch that one in the theater? I think we did. Um, And,
1: man, it's sad to say, but I didn't know the history behind it. But I guess it's because there's a lot of dark history surrounding that. Really? Okay. Yeah. A lot of no, dark no,
0: history. No spoilers here, listener. So we're not in spoiler territory yet. But So you're saying that there's some shady stuff that was going on around the space program?
1: No, no. That there was a—they were in a race— with uh, Russia, and so they were hurrying up things, like oh. like they had deadlines, and they were doing things that it wasn't really safe for the astronauts. Oh gosh! And, and so all of that's in there, and you're like, good grief! It blows my mind that that they allowed this to go on, but it. I mean, yeah, it's shady, but um, not on the part of the astronauts. Yeah. Okay. All
0: right. Well, I will. I'll look into that one then. That, that like I said, that was one that. I thought I wanted to see, and it just kind of got pushed out in busyness. Uh, Well, I'll I'll just tell you, Jared, I have been plowing through movies like a madman. (laughs) I have had a ton of paperwork here at the beginning of the year and calendar stuff and, you know, just kind of paper shuffling work. And I I tend to be it it tends to be just me and my secretary or me only at my my office through the week. Mm -hmm. So I will put on a movie while I'm filling out calendars or whatever I'm doing, lesson planning. And I have really knocked out quite a few movies. So I'm going to tell you one that I really enjoyed and one that I hated. How about that? Mm -hmm. Sure. So I wanted to catch up on a bunch of horror movies that not only did I watch or did I want to watch for this year, but uh, movies that I haven't, you know, that I've had kind of sitting around waiting to watch for years and so I watched a couple more contemporary movies, and then I watched some that I've been wanting to to, to watch for a few years. And the movie that I really liked is a Japanese movie um, called Noroi, N-O-R-O-I. I'm sure mm-hmm. that's not how a Japanese person would, would pronounce that, but it's uh, Noroi the Curse, and it's from 2005. Hmm. And this is back when we hadn't seen a bunch of Japanese horror in America yet. Now, we'd seen some, but not as much as we have since then. And it's still found footage, but it's basically a story about the the unseen consequences of the modern world creeping in and pushing out traditional communities, you know, village life and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it was really well done. If uh, if anybody wants to watch a horror movie and subtitles don't get in your way. I would recommend checking this one out. There's no... Uh, best I remember there was no sexual content no nudity anything like that it's just sort of a straightforward scary movie and I thought it, it was pretty effective
1: yeah, that's cool I you know I love scary movies especially good ones
0: yeah I think this one is is quite good I don't know if it's been remade in, uh, in the US usually if there's a Japanese horror movie that does well there's an American version that comes out pretty quickly thereafter I don't think I've seen one following up on this one but I'm going to check it out and see um, I'd rather talk at length though about the, the movie I saw that I hated, and that is First Reformed. Okay. Um, We talked about watching this way back in the earlier days of the podcast. And we couldn't find it. We were going to go to Knoxville one weekend or something to watch it, but we ended up not being able to. And so this thing just kind of languished in my queue, you know, wanting I was looking for a time to to watch it. It finally got added to Amazon Prime for no additional cost. So I was, you know, I knew, OK, that's how I'll watch it. And I finally had a chance to put that movie on. And it was definitely the most disappointing movie experience I had of 2018. And it's up there with the most disappointing and the worst movies I've seen. Of all time Mm. I I hate this movie With the burning heat Of a thousand suns (laughs) And it's totally Because I had such High expectations for it It's just Mm. hot garbage Man Um, So I'm not gonna give Spoilers Uh, We're not in in Plot (laughs) Excuse me Plot spoiler territory But you, most people probably know The Strokes. Ethan Hawk plays a pastor in this one, and he is really good. Um, and this is like slow burn, long shot, indulgent character study movie. And so if that's mm-hmm. what people are into, I, they might want to check this one out for just those reasons. But in terms of plot, it's just it's just awful. So the whole uh, issue is that this pastor is supposed to be having a crisis of faith brought up by basically a contemporary political issue. Mm -hmm. And I guess there's somebody out there who thinks that this is what a crisis of faith looks like, or that this version of a crisis of faith is compelling. But the truth is, I don't think anybody involved in this movie had ever met a Christian who had gone through a serious time of doubting their faith and what that looked like, particularly not someone who's in like church work. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's just so simplistic, and and it's really heavy handed. Like it's lecturing the audience about how they should believe. You know that that's the irony of the movie. It's supposed to be about this man who's questioning uh, some first principles or questioning some aspects of his faith. Mm-hmm. But this movie just wants people to take the most simplistic lesson and be like, "Yes, tell me what to think, tell me what to believe, tell me how I should respond." Uh, so there's no crisis of faith on the other side of the lens. They want to. They want to Hmm. speak to people about what they should do. And really what they're doing is speaking down to people about what they should think and what they should do. Gotcha. There's a a movie called Calvary from 2014. I think we've talked about it before. It's got Brendan Gleeson in it. Mm -hmm. And it is the movie that First Reform thinks it is. And if anybody's looking at First Reform and thinking, oh, I'd like to watch that. Of course, do your due diligence on conscience warning issues. But if you think you want to watch First Reform, let me just encourage you to not do that. Go find Calvary from 2014 and watch that instead. Hmm. So, yeah, it was a huge, huge disappointment to finally see First Reform. I feel like I needed to take a shower when I got done. Oh, wow. I
1: hate that, man, because I was looking forward to it as well.
0: It's garbage. They don't even like I don't think they even cared to understand how churches relate to one another in the ref like not just in the reform tradition but in evangelical tradition or anything there it's just a, it's just hot garbage it, it's like they said let's mess with this community of people and get them straightened out and took no care whatsoever to actually understand the community they were portraying on film it's just Mm. I know I'm I'm circling back around and beating a, a dead horse, but it's just such an arrogant and thoughtless movie. And, and like I was looking today, we're recording while the Critics' Choice Awards are being revealed. Mm-hmm. And that movie won Best Original Screenplay. It, dude, it, it can only work if what's being voted on is being done. If the voters doing the voting have no idea of what the community that the movie's portraying is actually like. Mm. The 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 success of this movie depends on the people who give it awards having no idea how unrealistic it is. Mm. Yeah, I know I, it's hard to get it's hard to get animated about a movie you hadn't seen, but I'm telling you, I'm hot enough about this one for both of us. It's just it's just awful, and yeah. I hope it will be forgotten very soon. <laughs> hey, uh, let me tell you one more. I watched. Yeah, dude, give me something
1: positive. Uh, yeah, I watched Date Nights again. Have you seen that with uh,
0: Steve Carell and Tina Fey? Oh, that's the one where they like they get in trouble with some gangsters or something and have to kind of flee. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I did see that. I think I've only seen it once around the time it came out. Yeah, there's some uh, I mean, there's some conscience issues,
1: listener, but that movie still holds up as far as being funny. Really? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I like those two, that actor, Steve Carell and Tina Fey as well. And uh, I mean, as far as, you know, much of their humor is. I mean, it's cleaner than most of what's out there. Not, of course, not every movie, but a lot of their stuff is um, where you're, you're able to watch it um, without feeling dirty. Anymore.
0: What now? You're able to watch it without feeling dirty.
1: Yeah. I mean, of course, that's varying depend on, depending on who's, you know, your conscience. But, um, but yeah, I, I laughed a lot. Yeah. So it's good to laugh. I find it, uh, it's therapeutic, man, to uh, just sit and. And watch and enjoy just stupid stuff. You know, the humor is a good thing.
0: Right, right. It really is. uh, It's a good escape. It also, I think laughing at the right things recalibrates you to the the world the way it is. I'm not trying to go deeper and deeper there and try to be all, you know, super thoughtful. But laughing at the right things kind of helps you understand God's world. There's some things that are ridiculous and we should see them that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's not a problem to just say, ah, uh, I'm going to take a few hours and laugh at ridiculous things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of date nights and good rewatches, last night, Christy and I had um, just put off date night for this week. And so we watched a movie together last night and it was Searching with John Choi. You know, we talked about last week. Yeah. She'd never seen it and she loved it, man. And it was a great rewatch. Absolutely a great rewatch.
1: That's great, man.
0: Yeah, listener, if you haven't seen that one or you have seen it and want to have somebody to talk to about it, go back into our archives. We covered it earlier. Uh, Well, I guess we covered it last year, and uh, we're we're big fans, but it certainly held up on a rewatch. All right, man. Anything else you want to talk about under what you're watching? No, I think that's it, buddy. All right. Well, then let's get into... So sorry to interrupt... And, Jared, I think you said you wanted to talk about some NFL football stuff? Yeah, man. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the
1: wild card playoffs last weekend. Um, So the Bears played the Eagles, and it went down to the wire. And uh, at the very end, so the kicker for the Bears – uh, cody parkey he kicked the field goal and it went in but the you know the coaches they'll you know, the opposing coach will call it timeout like eh, i don't know how they do
0: it oh yeah the last minute though right they call it icing the kicker
1: yeah it's right before the snap like he'll and then the rest they can't get the whistle blown quick enough and so anyway, he hit that one, but the the opposing coach had called a timeout, and so he had to re-kick it, and he kicked it, and it hit the upright, and then it hit the crossbar. So it hit the pole at the top and hit the crossbar in the middle and bounced out, and so he missed it, and the Bears lost. Well, dude, he's, of course, tore up, and after he's walking, as he's walking off the field, the Bears fans are booing him the whole time that he's leaving the field. And what, first off, it drives me crazy how fans treat these athletes, how they treat them. Like, can you imagine someone coming to your church and will it,
0: and booing you, you? I mean, I can't imagine <laughs> it. Yeah, I can. But you're right. It would never happen. And if it did, there would be just so many social repercussions to treat somebody like that face to face.
1: Oh, yeah. And it, it blows my mind that it's almost like I mean, it's it's like our Coliseum. It's, you know, you may remember back, I think it was three years ago, four years ago, Matt Castle I think it might have been the Chiefs, but Matt Castle was the backup quarterback. Their quarterback had got injured, and so he came in and had played a few games, but he got he got injured, and I think they booed him as yeah. he was taken off the field. Like his his own, um, it was in his home stadium, and the fans booed him as he was carried off the field. Um, but they interviewed they interviewed one of the guards for him. Like, uh, you know, in football, the guard uh, keeps, basically protects a quarterback. Well, they interviewed one at the end of the game, and he went off on the fans. He's like, we are not gladiators. This is not the Coliseum. You know, he just, yeah. he went nuts and they deserved it. I mean, he was exactly right. That we were, we're basically men trying to provide for our families Yeah. and, and, um, and there's a dignity to work and good grief. I can't imagine, uh, we need to do a skit sometime, man, where we
0: just go to people's jobs and boo them <laughs> as they do things. <laughs> and like compare it to what, you know, your, your buddy who, uh, who knows somebody who does the same job for. A different company, all the, all the ways he's doing it better, and how how they could do it better. Oh, um, yeah. Well, I'm I'm 100 with you on this issue you're raising. And who did you say was going after the the fans so hard? Oh, I can't remember his name. Um. Well, look him was, up because he's a hero, and he's saying stuff that needs to be said back to the the viewing audience.
1: Well, that that uh. I think we bring this up in the that chapter I had you read on sports,
0: yes, you need um, to get that thing published, so listener Jared is working with a group of thoughtful people to release a book looking at pop culture categories as a christian and the and the the chapter on sports is maybe the best thing I've ever read. Now, Qualifier here, let me explain it. It's really, other than David Prince's book on sports, the only thing I've ever read from a Christian perspective approaching sports. But it is so thoughtful and so thorough. So it will just climb to the top of the list. Um, it, it's needful in lots of different ways. So y'all need to get that published, Jared.
1: Yeah, we hope to this year, man. Sure do. Um but uh but going back to chicago dude the uh so chicago i don't know who did it um i don't know if it was uh i want to say it was a radio station or something like that but they actually set up um they invited chicago fans to come out and try to kick the field goal that cody parkey missed yeah so a hundred people signed up for this thing, and there's a huge crowd watching them. Dude, every one of them missed it. Yeah, a hundred people kicked it, and a hundred people missed it. And not only that, but several of them fell on the rear ends because it was it was snowing. <laughs> it well, was like poetic justice, man. You, you know, I really i I enjoyed that a little too much.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it's just. I mean, it's it's revenge, but it's in this case also justice. <laughs> so I. I had watched that play out, and it became a phenomenon on Twitter there for a while. And, you know, um, it was hard not to see that as a news event. But did you see that they ended up ruling that a blocked kick? Oh, no, I didn't. Somebody, I saw an interview at the
1: end that one of the, uh, I don't know if it was a guard or a, line or a defensive lineman that
0: said that they tipped it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what happened. And the NFL came out and changed it from a missed kick statistically to a blocked kick. Oh, wow, that's even better against the fans. Like, it's even way this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It that, wasn't his fault at all. That's the thing. So, I love sports. I think there's so much good about sports, but uh, the dehumanizing effect that takes mm-hmm. place when a crowd of people who've bought a ticket feel like they can say whatever they want to to the people on the field and treat them as if you know the the players on the field the coaches on the field are not human it is mm-hmm. one of the ugliest aspects of our culture and, and really the other one you mentioned is the is the uglier one when fans either cheer or boo somebody getting hurt I think I've told this on here before but I was at a Titans game one time and Gus for rot I'm dating myself here but Gus for rot got hurt. <laughs> and i'm not uh, laughing i'm laughing at the
1: name i'm laughing at i i I forgot that dude even played man it's been so long ago i'm sorry go ahead
0: oh it's okay i mean he he did not have exactly a spectacular career (laughs) although he did have a journeyman (laughs) career and i assume he's he's well you know financially established because of it anyway he got hurt and the Titans crowd spontaneously decided that he was faking the injury to, you know, like get an extra time out or something. Mm-hmm. And they booed and booed and booed. And I remember just screaming at my sections like, we're better than this. Quit booing someone who may be hurt. And uh, they ended up carting him off the field, and he didn't return to the game. And, uh, mm. man, it's just despicable. You, you know, probably alcohol plays into this. Mm-hmm. But buying a ticket and having a beer doesn't give you any right to just uh, disregard the dignity of the of the human beings on the field. Yeah, they may be bad at what they're doing. That That's entirely possible. You may be really upset with that as a fan. You don't have moral license to treat them as something less than human. I hate it. I, it just it crawls all over me yeah, and another thing
1: you I think you're right on about the money thing, like because they bought a ticket, they think it gives them a right. I've seen the same phenomena with folks who pay taxes. Like they think that because they pay taxes, like I'm thinking of like the school system like like you've been to you've been to a meeting before where you've seen people go nuts on. Um,
0: school officials because they pay taxes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that happened in um, my backyard. I I watched neighbors who I know are professing believers, and I would say have evidence of being believers, treat another neighbor who I know to be a believer and to have good evidence of being a believer in his life. They treated him in a way that I don't think Christians are allowed to treat their enemies, let alone their brothers. mm -hmm. I was scandalized.
1: Yeah, see that stuff like that. And it's not just that. Like I see it on online, like the chairman or uh, the superintendent of schools is a member of our church. And man, when... (laughs) when, People go berserk online saying horrible things about her. And I'm like, good
0: grief, y'all don't even know her. If you knew her, you wouldn't be writing
1: this. Or, I mean, if um, you
0: do know her, or if, I mean, that's a human being. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Social media makes everybody a tough guy. But the, the, you know, the really disturbing thing we're watching is that online troll behavior is creeping into more public interactions. Now, much less so face-to-face, one-on-one interactions. Mm-hmm. But group dynamics, you know, groups turn wickedly uh, egregious in the way they express their hostility or their frustration. It seems Mm -hmm. much quicker than anything I remember as a child. Yeah. so It's uh,
1: creepy. It's weird, isn't it? Like peer pressure or something?
0: Yeah. And the degenerating effects of sin. You know, you give into Mm -hmm. it and you get harder and desensitized and it's happening. I mean, it's happening in public discourse. Hey, uh, that, that fella, the teammate of Matt Castle, his name was Eric
1: Winston. Okay. Okay. Well, Uh, he, who defend him. You go find that on YouTube. Just go type in Eric Winston, Matt Castle, and I'm sure you'll be able to find that interview with him. Yeah.
0: Well, good. He, he, uh, He needed to say that more of it needs to be said and needs to be said to fans, but it also needs to be said fan to fan. You know, we I I mean, I get it. You know, I I root for the Chicago Bulls. I think the Chicago Bulls have the worst run organization in the NBA. I Mm -hmm. believe that. I think I can argue that Um, I would like to see new leadership. Uh, In the front office for the Chicago Bulls. So I can express that I can express that by contacting them and telling them that in respectful tone, which I've done. I've I know that sounds crazy, but I'm not going to be an online troll. Right. So I don't know, like I'm not spending money on your organization because you're antagonistic towards your fans. But the thing we, Mm. you know, the thing that fans need to tell each other is there's a way to do this and there's a way not to. And if you're around a group of people, if peer pressure is feeding it and, you know, we're all being caught up in the mania of dehumanizing people, thoughtful people need to help turn the tide and say, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is stupid. I'm not, I'm not participating and you shouldn't either. Uh, Lewis has this analogy of, you know, kind of trench warfare. I think he learned it when he was in the world war, but that certain societies of men become so degenerated that the highest kind this within that society is actually scandalously awful uh, in in uh, better societies. And I think mm. sports culture has become that. Oh, wow, that's scary stuff. Yeah. I mean, that, that reminds me of
1: like American slavery and how did it go on for so long and how, you, you know, you know, what
0: I'm saying like yeah, any dehumanizing enterprise. It, it, you're exactly right. that it, it can't be all explained by peer pressure, but you can't explain it apart from peer pressure as a contributing factor.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, hmm, that's interesting. That's a that's a fascinating statement because
0: I, I, I don't know. We we can talk off air. <laughs> <laughs> OK, we'll put a bow there and we'll save that for the uh, unrecorded section. All right, listeners. So, um, yeah, we're we're watching sports out there. Uh, I'd love to hear from you on your sports takes. Jared, I I just wanted to run through some award season stuff. Sure. Um, we we've seen the Golden Globes now, and like I said earlier, the Critics' Choice is uh, is going on right now as we're recording. So let me read to you the uh, Best Motion Picture uh, in terms of drama uh, nominees for the Golden Globes, and you tell me which one you think won. Unless sure. do, you, do you know who won? No, I do not. Okay, so Best Motion Picture Drama, uh, the nominees for the Golden Globe Award is A Star Is Born. Number two, If Bill Street Could Talk, which is a movie I know very little about. Mm-hmm. Three, Black K Klansmen. It's Black KKK Klansman. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to pronounce that, but it's a movie I want to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't know how to say it. Uh, also, Black Panther. That would be number four. And number five, Bohemian Rhapsody. Which, which one of those would you give the best motion picture for a drama movie to? I the final one, Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, brother, that is the one that won it. So you're a fine mind. I knew there was a reason you had a pop culture podcast. Wow. Here's I'm my issue the, with it. I'm one of the elites. You are one of the elites, Jared. I think it's just, you know, we're just confirming what we've always suspected. But yes. <laughs> Marty. So there's also a Golden Globe Awards category for Best Motion Picture Musical or Comedy. Hmm. And here are the nominees for that. Mary Poppins Returns, The Favorite, Crazy Rich Asians... Vice, which I don't think we've talked about. I'm interested in seeing it. It is Christian Bale, uh, Steve Carell, Amy Adams, Sam Rockwell, looking at the Bush White House, uh, the, the the W White House years. Mm-hmm. And it's mainly focused on Cheney. Uh, and then the fifth is Green Book. Do you recognize that title? I have not seen any of those. Yeah. So Christie saw Mary Poppins Returns and loves it. Uh, my friend Derek uh, saw Vice and he said it was really terrifying. And then Green Book is the movie that has Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali. And it's uh, it's a semi-historical pick where there is a black musician who's going to do a, a tour of the American uh-huh. South. Jim yeah, I, I've, I've seen
1: that preview several times.
0: Yeah, it looks really good, right? Yeah. Well, so that's the fifth nominee. And again, remember, the category is Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. Any idea who, who won this one? I guess the rich Asians. It would seem like that was the most pop-culturally, you know, prominent other than maybe Mary Poppins. But no, it was Green Book. Hmm. So here's what I don't understand. I don't understand how a movie where the plot is not carried by the musical performances, Mm -hmm. qualifies as a musical, right? So when I think of musical, I think of Hamilton, the the original Mary Poppins, Sound of Music, uh, La La Land, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think of Green Book, and and maybe they're just calling it a, a comedy, but I don't think of Green Book as a comedy or a musical, even though it's based on the life of a musician, Mm -hmm. But I certainly don't understand how a movie based on the life of a musician wins best drama and a second one of those wins best musical or comedy. Does that make sense? Like, it seems like those two movies should have been competing against each other. Yeah. Not in separate categories. I I, I just don't. I'm sure somebody can explain to me why this works out that way, but I I just do not get it. Yeah, I don't understand either, man. Uh, Rami Malek did go on to win the best performance by an actor in a drama. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, wow. well, uh, also the other correlation here is that best performance by an actor in a motion picture, musical or comedy went to Christian Bale for vice rather than one of the, the green book actors. Although Viggo Mortensen was nominated. Hmm. Can I note because of this episode that Elsie Fisher was nominated, but did not win for best performance by an actress in a musical or a comedy?
1: Elsie Fisher was that in?
0: Oh, you're killing me, small. She's the uh, she's the, the the star of Eighth Grade. Oh, my bad. I didn't know. I didn't recognize her <laughs> name. Yeah, yeah. She didn't it. win, though. She did not. She was nominated, but did not win. Oh man, um, I hated Eighth Grade. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then let's uh, let's talk about the Critics' Choice since that's going on right now. Uh, as of this recording, we do not know which one has won Best Picture. But let me throw a few at you. Sure. Best Actor. Some of these we didn't see, so I, you'll have to just take a stab at it. Uh, Best Actor. Nominated Christian Bale for Vice. Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born. William Defoe for At Eternity's Gate. Surprisingly, not for, for his role as the <laughs> Chancellor in Aquaman. Uh, Ryan Gosling for First Man. Ethan Hawk for First Reformed. Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. And Vigo Mortensen for Green Book. Who you got in that list? Rami. Yeah, I probably would have went that same way. It was Christian Bale. He won for Bob. Oh wow Um, Best Actress Apparently there was A co-winner So uh, Yalitza Apprecio For Roma Which is on Netflix I haven't I haven't watched it yet Emily Blunt For Mary Poppins Returns Glenn Close For The Wife Tony Collette For Hereditary Olivia Colman for The Favorite, Lady Gaga for A Star is Born, and Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Any ideas on that one? No idea, man. Uh, Gaga. Yeah, she was a co-winner. Glenn Glenn Close for The Wife was the other co-winner. I would have given that to Tony Collette and never thought twice. I didn't care for Hereditary, but she was incredible. Yeah, but horror actors aren't getting anything, man. Yeah, it's a shame because what she did in that film was, was absolutely killer. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. Best visual effects. I'll do a couple more of these, and I'll throw it at you, or we'll we'll move on. Rather, I'll throw a <laughs> few more. <laughs> Getting tongue tied. Uh, I'll throw a few more of these at you, and we'll move on. Best visual effects, Jared. Avengers: Infinity War. Black Panther. First Man, Mary Poppins Returns, Mission Impossible, Fallout, Ready Player One. Which one would you have given it to? Mm, Fallout. It was pretty impressive, but it went to Wakanda Forever, Black Panther.
1: Really? Even above Infinity War? I rewatched Infinity War the other day, man, and it is incredible. I don't know how much money they spent on that thing. It It is
0: an amazing movie. They spent just enough money to make all the money back in proceeds. And by not all the money they spent, I mean all the money in the world. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so Black Panther. Um, Best animated feature? The Grinch, Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs, which I didn't see, uh, Mirai, which is it looks to me like a Japanese animated feature. I hadn't seen it either. Ralph breaks the Internet, which you saw. Boo! And Spider-Man into the Spider Verse. Which one do you think Spides. took home the prize? Spider Verse. You are absolutely right, sir. Nobody can sneak that past you. Um, I actually, I can't stop here. There's a few more. I just want to hear your. I want to hear your guesses. All right, two more. Sure. Best action movie: Avengers: mm-hmm. Infinity War, Black Panther, Deadpool Two. Mission Impossible Fallout, Ready Player One, Widows. What do you think took home the Golden... Excuse me, the Critics' Choice Award for <laughs> Best Action Movie? Critics' Choice Award, uh, reward, uh, Widows? Widows is not the correct answer, sir. It is Mission Impossible Fallout.
1: Okay. Which See, I, I think I was, is the correct answer. I do, too. I was trying to think, you know, trying to think like the people voting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, maybe there would be some... Um, other reasons that they would they would want Widows other than just pure action. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Mission Impossible, Fallout. I think that's definitely the right choice. Yeah. Best sci-fi or horror movie? Here are your nominees. Annihilation. Did we talk about Annihilation last week? About the, the scary part of it? We did. I saw it, too. I watched it. Dude, how crazy was the thing? Are
1: you talking about when they're sitting in the chairs? Yes. Okay, yeah. That was pretty scary. That's pretty the freaky. stuff of
0: nightmares, yeah.
1: It was. Even the... Yeah, I mean... Even the ending of that movie was, like, when she's in
0: that room. Yeah. I mean, that's where those kind of, like, that and uh, the Book of Life, like, these high-concept... Visual movies sometimes lose me, mm-hmm. but you're right. It was pretty terrifying. Just weird me out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So Annihilation is a nominee. Halloween, Hereditary, Suspiria and A Quiet Place. Which one do you think won? Sci-fi? Best sci-fi or horror movie is the category. So Annihilation, Halloween, Hereditary, Quiet Place, Suspiria. A Quiet Place. Yes. And that's the correct answer, right? Yes. Um, oh, it looks like we do have the best picture. Uh, I'm going to give that guess to you. Lastly, I'm, I promise I'm going to wrap this up. I'm just fascinated by these choices. Here's your nominees for best picture. Black Panther, Black KKK Klansman, The Favorite, First Man, Green Book, If Bill Street Could Talk, Mary Poppins Returns, Roma, A Star is Born, or Vice. Any guesses? What was the second one? Black KKK Klansman. The third or, or was, one. The uh, The Favorite fourth one first man oh my goodness what was the first one black panther i'll guess black panther that's what should have won but it was roma i gotta watch roma it's on netflix right yeah i watched the preview i have no interest in watching that movie whatsoever (laughs) dude i just
1: read like the title like what little like maybe a sentence about it and i don't want to watch it (laughs) so
0: if if you watch that thing you let me know how good it is because i can't i mean i I tend to watch all the award movies every year. I couldn't bring myself to to watch Roma. It just looks so terribly boring. I may sneak that in
1: on Amber. And be like Amber, hey, this one. What was
0: it? It won Best Picture. It did for the oh, Critics choice.
1: I will try to get her to watch it and tell me about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's going to bring me to my award season fascination end. Uh, anything else you want to cover? And so sorry to interrupt. No, I think that's it, man. All right, so I guess now it is time to pull the curtain on 8th grade. You good with that, Jared? Yeah, I'm excited. (laughs) I think you went through puberty again right then.
1: (laughs) Oh, it is 8th grade.
0: (laughs) Well played, sir. Well played. I doffed my cap to you. Um, so Jared, this is a movie about a young lady growing through adolescence. Um, before we jump into it, do you wanna give our listeners a conscience warning? Yeah, sure. Um listeners, there is some bad
1: language, there's some vulgar language, and there's some insinuated sexuality.
0: Um, it's hard to explain. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to give uh, the synopsis here in just a minute, and we'll consider ourselves in spoiler territory, and we'll just talk about that right up front. How about that? Yeah, that'd be fun. Alright, so the synopsis on this is an introverted teenage girl tries to survive the last week of her disastrous 8th eight, disastrous grade year before leaving to start high school. That's straight from IMDb. And friends, to be clear, we're now in spoiler territory, so uh, we will be talking about specific details from the plot. If you haven't seen this movie yet and you don't want anything ruined for you about the story, you need to pause it here, go watch the movie and come back to us when you're done. Otherwise if you press on listening, we assume you're you're okay with hearing about plot details. So Jared, there we go. We've warned them about spoilers. Why don't you walk us through this specific conscience issue? Um there is a um there's a scene
1: where a boy they accuse him of uh, masturbating in the classroom. You don't see anything but he's just moving under his shirt. Um there's another scene where the Kayla who's the main, uh, main character yeah. who's the main character trying to impress a boy she tells him that she does she's willing to do oral 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 sex and so she goes home and looks it up on YouTube and so there's um, you know, there's no, it doesn't show anything, but there's just, um, she clicks the video and closes, you know, it, it, uh, she's disgusted and, um, but then later she gets a banana and, and s- seems to, um,
0: she's contemplating like basically practicing oral sex on this banana.
1: Well, yeah. And, but her, her dad walks in and, and yeah, it you know, becomes a comedic moment. Yeah, and so those issues, um, I kept looking at my wife, and with all these, uh, you know, everything that she was going through, and the like, she kisses her hand at one point, and I was just trying to figure out if any of this was legit stuff that girls actually did. But
0: yeah, well, so uh, when you're saying she was kissing her hand? She was looking at her crush, and I think yeah. practicing what it would be like to kiss a boy by kissing right, the back right. of her hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. and. uh yeah, so I don't know. That that, that
1: those are the main like <laughs> I was surprised. I mean it was Radar, I figured there had to be something, but maybe it was I had no, I had not I didn't know anything about this movie. Um but that's so I knew it had to be radar for something, but I didn't know if it was violence or we were thinking something might have might have happened to her or she might take her own life. You know, I just didn't know what what was the goal of the movie. And so yeah. we, we were kind of coming in
0: blind. Well, I, if I could flesh out just a little bit of the details on that, I, the the scene where there's a classmate who appears to be masturbating comes really early in the movie. They're they're basically in health class talking about the female body. And, and we don't see anything. You just see a woman. On the screen be like, we're going to talk about your, you know, your body is a woman and there's males in the room and you see a boy who's under his shirt motioning in such a way that even his classmates realize he's doing something inappropriate that happens really early on in the movie. Um, It's not glorified. It's seen as gross and they get away from it. Um, So it's not celebrated. Then when she is going through that exploration of oral sex, I think in the YouTube video, she watches and we, I think we see that video for like 20 seconds, but the, the video, the person, you know, that's uh, on the video holds up a plastic uh, phallic object as like a learning device and that's about the time that Elsie closes her laptop. So mm-hmm. I mean guys, that's that's what's in this movie that may be too much for you. The thing I'm gonna say, it's not it wasn't too much for my conscience because it was portrayed as something an awkward and confused young lady was running into and having to deal with, but was also being repulsed by And I thought that's the appropriate way to tell a realistic story in the world about how young women become sexualized in those kind of environments. And it it carried the appropriate level of the the rejection that I hope the young women who are in similar circumstances, uh, you know, push used to push back against sexualization in their own lives. So it may be too much for you. It wasn't too much for Jared and I. And we're going to continue reviewing the movie. Mm hmm. Um, Jared, so you know our thing here, listener, if this is something you've tuned into before, but for those of you who are new, we analyze the story of the movie we're talking about over and against the story that God is telling through cosmic history about Jesus. And we look at it under the headings of creation, fall, redemption, and glorification. Uh, God created the world good, man uh, as the under- kings uh, who had been given stewardship of the earth, mm-hmm. uh, man chooses sin, and so earth becomes fallen. But God is committed to his purposes, and he deploys his faithful son, Jesus, as the choice servant uh, of his father. The, the servant accomplishes redemption, and through his accomplishment, uh, brings a better world into existence. That's what we call glorification. So in similar ways, these people who are telling stories through movies can't help but tell stories that look something like the great story that we all live in. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, we're going to start looking at eighth grade according to those categories to see how well or how poorly it reflects uh, the story that God is telling about Jesus. And so, Jared, what is creational goodness in this movie, in your opinion? Uh, It's pretty much the particular world of an eighth grader, and her life revolves around her
1: phone, social media, and what her peers think of her.
0: Yeah, it's well said. I, you know, I really struggle to see an objective goodness that is part of this young lady's world for mm-hmm. most of the movie. I, I don't know yeah. how you understood her as you're watching this movie, but I just see her awash in competing forces, you know, the social pressures and uh, social media, um, you know, her family dynamics. I just see her as like a balloon being carried along on a river with no mm-hmm. no control, no sense of actual direction. She's just trying to find her way. Is that your read on her as we first meet her, or uh, would you disagree. It seems yeah, it seems that she is she's basically going to bow to whoever
1: thinks she's awesome. Um I mean that, that's kind of what I understand.
0: So you see her uh, is looking for a place to belong. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I'm I'm definitely with you on that. Um I I think at the at the heart of this movie and I think this is why I like this movie so much is that this is a movie about a young woman trying to find out who she is. So I think she's looking for an identity and that identity she thinks is going to come through several different channels she explores. Um, But while we first meet her, because she's in the process of looking for an identity, she doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know because she doesn't have an identity. She doesn't know how to relate to the world around her. So we don't really have any vision of what's good. We just see a child trapped in chaos. Does that make sense?
2: Mm
1: hmm.
0: Uh, what do you, what do you then see as fallenness in this movie? I put
1: that fall happens when people do not recognize how awesome Kayla is.
0: Yeah, and so when you say that, are you saying that fallenness takes place because they don't see her the way she wants to be seen, or that you, as yes. a viewer, have seen something wonderful within her and you want the people around her to recognize it too?
1: No, I'm talking about like if I'm like as far as the in the movie like. If I was if this is an actual world that I'm in, what how does fall happen? And I believe fall happens when like if you look at how um, I can't remember the name of the girl who treated Kayla poorly and Kayla goes off on her. Yeah. One um, of the one of the cool girls at her school. Yeah. But I mean, I mean she basically goes all, off on her for not recognizing how. Not treating her with dignity, not treating her how she expected to be treated, type thing. Right. Um, she's basically, I think she's basing her her worth on what others think of her, and if they don't think as highly of her as she thinks they should, then she eventually washes her hands of them. Mm-hmm. Is what I'm is what I'm understanding. Um, so she's trying to fit in, fit in, fit in, fit in, and she's going to go with the group who, um, accepts her, but she acts different around each group, you know, mm. she, because she's trying to fit in. So, um, it's, it's, it's really sad, but it does kind of shed light on, um, I, it helps, it does help me to be aware of as my daughter gets older, And probably my son, uh, my sons, um, as they get older, that this is going to be a real temptation to um, base your value of yourself on what others think of you or to on the flip side of that, the opposite extreme is to be selfish and wash your hands of those who don't think as highly of you as you think they should. Mm -hmm. And um, I think both those two extremes. And so I I see her waffling back between those two extremes instead of finding a happy middle where your worth comes from from God, which gives you freedom that only only then can you have an objective worth which frees you to be who the Lord made you to be.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm tracking with you. I think you're probably taking a more critical read of her than I did. I think I took a more sympathetic read. Sure. But a lot of what you're saying, I resonate with. I, I, as a pastor, but then also as a Christian, it seems to me that the great struggle of experiential Christianity, right? So what what is it like to be in the skin of someone who's a Christian? It seems like the great battle in that experience is mm-hmm. figuring out who you are. Where does your identity come from? And I feel like as a pastor, I work with people on this front. I feel like as a Christian, I have to deal with it in my own heart. When I'm talking to people that I care for, my wife, my kids, we spend a lot of time trying to say to each other and remind each other and encourage each other that we are who God says that we are. Mm -hmm. And other competitive identities are not true in the way that the identity we have in Christ is true. Mm -hmm. And I see so much of the the turmoil and the confusion that comes from not having that touch point playing out in this story in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I'm sympathetic to her because I know how hard it is as someone who has the full testimony of the New Testament and the inner witness of the spirit. I still know how hard it is to actually understand who I am. And so I look at this young lady who doesn't have those resources in eighth grade, but she's she's a fellow image bearer and she's just drowning in a sea, you know, uh, but also starving, excuse me, you know, uh, thirsting to death um, for for Mm -hmm. someone to tell her who she is and and let it organize her life. In, In some ways, I feel like this movie is like an inverted Moana Moana has a strong internal sense of who she is, but it's in conflict with the society around her. Elsie mm-hmm. Fisher's character doesn't have that, but she desperately wants it. She doesn't have a sense of who she is internally, and she doesn't know how to locate herself within society. And so she's just grabbing at anything that passes by her or that she passes by while she's being washed down the, down the stream. And uh, man, I, I just I feel for Kayla in, in that experience. Mm. Um, what's redemption here, Jared?
1: I think redemption happens when Kayla loves herself, regardless if others love her or not. Okay. Do you think she comes, how do you think she comes to that point? I don't think she does. Um, I don't think she does. I think there's hope
0: but I don't think, I think it's kind of left open ended. Well, this may be, this may be part of why we have evaluated this movie so differently in terms of like or dislike. For me, redemption happens when she has exhausted all the options she had to identify herself through. And uh, she's left, you know, basically destroyed. In, In fact, in the scene I'm thinking about, she has a box that she asks her dad to help her burn. Mm-hmm. And he's like, OK, hon, sure. Let's go in the backyard. And they start burning this box. And her dad says, so what was in that anyway? And she says, oh, nothing. Mostly my hopes and dreams. And you you see it on her dad's face like, oh, we're in a crisis moment, you know. <laughs> and he was unaware. He was just spending time with his daughter and trying to connect with her. But what happens at that point I think is the heart of the movie, dude. And it, it broke me watching it. She says, are you ever ashamed or you, I can't remember. Are you ever sorry that I'm your daughter? Mm-hmm. And he very ham handedly and clumsily, uh, but very beautifully as well, begins to articulate to her that, that that's the furthest thing from his experience of her. Mm-hmm. And he tells her, I wish you could see yourself from my eyes. Mm-hmm. And when he tells her that and he does elaborate a little bit more, she gets up and goes and sits in his lap. And that's basically the way the movie wraps up her eighth grade year. And so I think redemption in this movie very beautifully comes when Kayla finds the beginnings of an identity in her father's view of her. I don't think it's comprehensive. I don't think it settles all issues for her. I don't know that it will never be shaken. But I think that Kayla at the end of the movie is most different uh, from the Kayla at the beginning of the movie in, in this central quest to find her identity. In that she has now adopted in some way, just maybe even by faith, but that she's adopted internally her father's evaluation of her. And it's given her it's giving her a path into her next year in school. And so I think my enthusiasm for this movie Now, there's a lot that we'll talk about more than that I love about this movie. But my enthusiasm for the movie is is watching her exhaust all hope of finding an identity out in the world, but finding hope of an identity in the beginnings of it in her father's love for her and his evaluation of her. And so, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm a big fan. That's where I think redemption comes in. Um, what do you what do you think glorification looks like in this movie?
1: Um, I think it's. Uh... Happens when Kayla surrounds herself with peers who love her. For instance, who Well, I think that's kind of the the point ahead. Oh, that she'll find her group. Yeah, that there will be a a group beyond um beyond these folks that she has tried to get, you know, become friends with where she basically she's not really herself. Um And that she'll be able to find a group like that. I I mean, you could argue based on what you said that that view her the way her father does, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. well, I think for us as the viewers, I'm going to take a little different angle on this. I think we're left still looking for the better world. Um, You know, we we start this movie with her making a video and it's clear that she's trying to build like a social media platform as as an advice girl. But we see that her subscriber count's pretty low. But then you find out that like making videos is sort of her thing in the sense that she's done it often. And she gets a a time capsule from the beginning of her eighth grade year where she made a a video about her hopes for what would happen in her eighth grade year. Mm -hmm. And she torches that sucker (laughs) at the the end of the movie because eighth Mm -hmm. grade has been a huge disappointment. Um, But she makes another one going into ninth grade. And for me I read that as her saying my hopes have been rekindled for a better tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I think that's rooted in her dad communicating something to her about who she is. So she has she's not living into the better world yet, but she has hope that it's coming because she's heard her father. Does that make sense? It does, but that better world is peers who
1: love her like you know what I'm saying like it's 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 still that social
0: She's still pursuing that social world outside of her family. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I I, I wouldn't push back against that. I do think she's doing it in a way that's different from what eighth grade Kayla was wanting to do. Um, I guess we can talk about that a little bit more in the next section. So, guys, when we when we get the story chopped up into the worldview of the film compared against the worldview of Christianity, we then try to start putting it back together with some analysis questions. And there's five of them. The first one is, what's the story? And we want to get it right. And we hope, in some ways, that the worldview analysis helped us do that. We've we've gotten the story in the sense that we know what it tells us about the world both what's good about it what's wrong how it could be fixed and how a better world would come uh, the second question where am i and there we want to see the style and shape of the imaginary world so jared when you're watching 8th grade how are you present as a viewer in this movie
1: um <clears throat> well i uh, first i want to say i hated the music <laughs> absolutely hated the music i honestly think it is the worst score of music I've ever heard in a movie it reminded me of the office the episode where gabe gets his keyboard you know michael's thrown up in the toilet cuz he ate these uh was it sea monkeys and Gabe comes in there and tries to serenade him with his keyboard. It, I, I, for real, I think that that character, Gabe, did the score for this movie. That's hilarious. So you're not a big fan of the synthesizers? I it, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, it for real, it's like a four-year-old got a hold of the music. It was horrendous.
0: Dude, I think you're an old man, and you can't relate to the music of kids these days, and you're screaming at them to get off your lawn. <laughs> If
1: that's what the music is, man, I mean, I was like, what? Like, I didn't know how to feel, like, other than angry that I was having to listen to this music.
0: (laughs) I'm stunned you had such a visceral reaction to it. Well, that may be
1: why I didn't like the movie, because it was... The music made me for real. I was angry. And, and then I'm having to watch this movie, try to be empathetic
0: for this girl. And um, I'm just angry about the music. Man, um, I, so I, I'm not saying that I want to listen to the soundtrack or the score of this film, you know, on my on my in my earbuds on repeat, you know. But I will tell you this. I thought the score was really brilliant. Oh, my gosh. Here's what I mean by that. It was all done through synthesizers. It's all fake. And I think it's perfect for a young lady who's trying to synthesize an identity. So, like, when her crush comes on screen, I thought the music was brilliant. I thought it so reinforced. Her experience of each, you know, of her, like, it helped me understand better what she was experiencing in that moment. And so it's loud and crashing. It's like the coolest thing in the world because he goes into slow-mo and, uh, you know, it's this enthusiastic music that's playing. But again, it's all fake. It's all synthesized. And I think Bo Burnham, who is the director and the writer of this movie, I think this is his first film. Bo Burnham is helping us understand that at every level this is all fakery there's nothing of substance here there's nothing of actual consequence it's just synthetic okay <laughs> <laughs> you need
1: to think more meta dude i do i do so yeah i need i do need to think that because i needed the music to communicate that for me like cuz i couldn't get it from the movie like i had to the music had to be so horrendous <laughs> i found it distracting um but anyway well has any do you know can do you know any other movie that's trying to communicate like any other teen movie like this that where there's fakery where there's where they where they played fakery music like that like do you can you know is there any other teen movie had anything remotely similar concerning a
0: score well i I mean no not in the in like the the synthesizers in a movie from 2018 but i think it's pretty much standard operating procedure for teen movies to make use of music in a way that tells you more than what the text of the film is saying explicitly Mm -hmm. you know the the uh Kind of the quintessential teenager movie for a previous generation was The Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. right? And the uh, the director of that film, John Hughes, is sort of famous for making coming-of-age stories for 80s kids. Mm-hmm. And every one of them makes use of music, uh, pop music in particular, to tell us about what's going on with each one of the characters. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to say that this movie is hearkening back to those John Hughes style films that use music to communicate an additional layer of meaning. Oh, my Jeff.
1: This dude, this movie does not (laughs) need to be in the same paragraph. Or universe as a John Hughes film. Are you Um, for real? Are you kidding me? This is the closest.
0: This is the closest thing to a John Hughes movie that's come out since. Oh my gosh, dude! Molly Ringwald tweeted that eighth grade is the best movie about adolescence that she's seen maybe ever. I can't stand her, (laughs) dude. She is the face of John Hughes's teen movies. I know. Except for, like, except for,
1: what, Ferris Bueller's Day Off?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so.
1: And, well, not Teen, but the
0: Home Alone movies. Um, Home Alone? You want to talk about films that don't deserve to be in the same category as John Hughes? No, John did both of those, didn't he? Yeah, but it's not... He come did on both now, of those. come on now. It's not he's not doing the same thing in Home Alone that he is in The Breakfast Club or any of those other ones, right? I mean, surely we agree yeah. on that. Sure. Okay. Yeah, dude. This is this is the closest thing to a John Hughes movies, he, John Hughes movie that we will get. Oh, my gosh. On either side of 2020. Well,
1: dude, I will never, ever watch another
0: so-called John Hughes movie again. Brother, I cannot believe (laughs) your animosity. This is a great movie. You are. (laughs) Honestly, I honestly
1: want to sit down with you and Christy and talk with y'all like about don't do drugs
0: before you watch movies. (laughs) Dude, you're just objectively (laughs) wrong on this. (laughs) You're objectively wrong. This is an incredible film. It's one of like the five best I saw all year. And it's probably in the top 10 that I've seen in a couple years. Like you're
1: if I didn't know you for so many years, man, like what
0: does this movie do wrong? I think it's pretty close to perfect. Oh, my gosh. So tell me tell me what it does wrong. And that's not um, I'm not being condescending. I, I really do want to know what you see this movie doing wrong. Number one is the music. Yeah, we've we've heard. So, other than the music, <laughs> um, what else does it do wrong? Um, let's see. Insert cricket sound effect.
1: You asked me a question on the spot, and I'm trying to figure out. You got nothing, player. What else is you ask? What is wrong? All
0: right, all right. You movie. go ahead and like, do this. Like you want me to up.
1: think like a director for a minute? I'm
0: like going to cue up the Jeopardy music. <laughs> and, <laughs> You turn those wheels until you find something about this terrible movie, and I'll just wait. I'll just be here sipping water
1: That is wrong with the movie mm-hmm. like what, what would mm-hmm. I do different
0: mm-hmm.
1: mm. um, I'm not as cheery like I'm not as cheery about the the new video as you are. I don't like I said, I think it's open ended um I think she's hopeful, but she was hopeful for eighth grade too, and probably her ninth grade year is not gonna be. Um, as great as she wants it either. It, I mean, those years are hard. The hardest years are seventh,
0: eighth grade, ninth grade, probably. OK, but is that a problem with the movie or is that just a problem with growing into adulthood?
1: Um, I mean, what do you think this movie is trying to communicate to teens? Well, see, I guess it was to adults. What do you think it's just trying to communicate? Because teens ain't going to be watching this movie, right?
0: I don't know. I, don't know. I don't re- know. Well, I don't think the broader. I mean, did you care about whether or not you watched our movie when you were? eighth ninth, tenth eleventh, twelfth grade I didn't no I watched them when I was like fourth grade probably yeah, yeah. I mean I think teenagers watch the huge movies we talked about earlier I really want to talk to some teenagers I, I mean I would love to talk to some eighth graders who'd seen this uh, or or listen I guess rather i'd I'd love to listen in on a conversation about this movie held you know by people who were in this age group I'd love to know to what degree this seems realistic to their own experience. I, you know, I go to, I go to a, a private Christian school two days a week to teach. Now I'm, I'm dealing with 10th graders, but it's all I can do to keep from being like, did you guys watch eighth grade? Tell me what you thought. Cause I'm so interested in that, but I, I can't, you know, I can't ask that question because of the, uh, the oral sex scene in this movie. <laughs> But I'm I mean, yeah. I'm fascinated because that's, you know, the the thing I like second to the way this asks us questions about identity is that this movie seems like it captures both the timeless characteristics. I mean, and that's a that's a mitigated timeless, like basically what it's like to be a teenager since the concept was invented. But it catches the timeless aspects of this period of human development, as well as some very specific elements about how those Uh, Children are experiencing those things in this moment in 2018. It just seems like what real life looks like when I watch this movie.
1: Yeah, I I hope not. I want, I hope I can postpone that for my
0: kids past eighth grade, but well we're still in in question two here, so that's one of the things I want to bring up that in some ways that is what seems so realistic about this movie to me. This movie is not showing you the most debauched version of what eighth grade could look like for a young woman, right right I think there are some people who who would make the movie that way and be like, "Look at how much sex they're having, look at all the drugs they're doing, you know like to find the most depraved eighth graders and cast that vision as what eighth grade is mostly like for most people. Mm-hmm. But this is a young woman who, while she's being exposed to certain things, they're they're not part of her. They're not part of her world. She's, she's confused by them. She doesn't know what to make of them. She's still uh, quite innocent, but it also doesn't paint her as like a goody two shoes who rejects all forms of vice she goes after some terrible things. She rejects some terrible things. She goes after some terrible things. And I mean, I'm an old dude at this point, but in in the sense of like universal experience, I went after some terrible things and I rejected some terrible things. And I'm assuming teenagers, you know, or tweens are doing the same stuff now. Mm-hmm. So I like that we didn't get the grossest version or the 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 whitewashed version, but she was somewhere in the middle. Mm, okay. Did you find her likable?
1: Um. Yeah. Like in a. I don't know. I've got nieces that are around her age. Um. You know, like a a niece. I guess. Like a. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, it's hard
0: for me to. I thought she had a great dad, and if she didn't have a great dad, I would have wanted to adopt her. Mm. I just my heart broke for this young lady, so I I found myself uh, worried for her. You know, laughing in some ways at her. Um, I hope in a charitable way because I've been in similar situations. I found myself rooting for her, uh, worried about her. I, I found her, you know, really lovely at different turns. So I, I really liked the character. Mm. That's where I was at. I, I Like you said, like an uncle, uh, just wanting the best for her. Uh, yeah. yeah. So question three, what's good, true and awesome here? Where do we behold common grace?
1: Um, the scene with her, her recognizing that, Basically, trying to please everybody is miserable. That what is it like a, um, you know, why leave your dad behind who loves you? Uh, hold on to him while still pursuing others who love. Him. I mean, all those things are good. And I mean, the I don't know. I thought I thought the showing the I don't know showing the vain the vain girls as vain was good. Um, even the boys portraying the boys as. I don't know that boys were that overt to the point of you just met a girl and you pull over and play you climb in the back seat and play truth or dare. Uh, I mean, maybe boys are like that, but I, I, I mean,
0: I think we went to school with some guys who definitely were that way. And truth be told, there's more who would be. I'm not trying to throw stones. There's more who would be if they were brash enough. But a lot of people are just too timid. Like inside, they would want to be that person. They were just too afraid to. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I could see that. Um, but showing those boys as, you know, how they're making her feel, I thought that was good. Because, you know, boys don't, they don't see when she goes home and cries and all all that comes after that, right? And how mm-hmm. that negatively impacted her. Um, All that was good. And I've never, you know, girls always, even today uh, with my wife, I don't understand girls and they've always been a mystery. Um, And so getting to see kind of what that, from their perspective, um, what they're thinking, you know, some of that was, was helpful and is positive and good, um, to kind of put yourself in someone else's shoes for a little while. is it's helpful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very much with you there. I'm going to kind of settle into my overstuffed chair here and and talk about good things in this movie for a minute i'm with you and then i think this movie is really great at giving us the perspective of someone that we are not so again this is why i want to hear what people are closer to that age group have to say about this movie because it seems to me like i really got to live in their world for a few minutes Mm -hmm. but i'll just tell you jerry i think there's so much good here one I think that this movie tells the story so well. I do think the music is a help because it it, it emphasizes certain aspects of her experience really well. I thought that the acting that Elsie Fisher did was just incredible. There were so many times where her posture or hanging her head or her tone of voice or her inability like she was acting as a young lady who didn't know what to do with her hands so she would like put one over the the other arm or she would like go to to raise them and then put them down because she just she just felt awkward in the environment and couldn't figure out even the right posture to adopt Mm -hmm. I thought um, you you mentioned a scene where this older boy from high school is driving her home after she got to hang out with some older kids and he hops in the back and he tries to get her to take her shirt off. And when she um, when she tells him, please don't tell her friend about this, I just thought her heart sounded in her voice like it was shattered Mm -hmm. when uh, when there's that scene where her dad walks in on her about she's about to like put the banana in her mouth. Mm-hmm. and he stops her just by showing up unexpectedly, and he says, I thought you hated bananas. And she's like, no, 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 I don't hate bananas. And he's like, no, 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 you yelled at me and said that you hate bananas, and, and it was so important to you, I actually made a note of it. And you just tell this dude is lost in confusion. So she fakes it, and she like peels the banana and starts eating it, and it's so gross to her that she spits it on the ground eventually. She can't bring herself to, to actually eat the banana. And then she looks up at to at him and says, "Fine, I do hate bananas," and throws it at him. I mm-hmm. thought that. I mean, I, I've not lived with a young lady that age yet, but I have seen that in seed form in the uh, the volatility within my daughters. Now, I say volatility; they know why they're acting that way. I have a sense of right, like I like they have a sense of why this is the appropriate response in the moment. But as a dad standing outside of them, I, it looks to me like they went from happy to sad in an eye blink. Mm-hmm. Or from happy to angry in in yeah the the blink of an eye and so she just does that so well and the, and the the guy who played her dad I I have not wanted to like befriend a guy I wanted to take him out for dinner and tell him he's doing a good job and keep up the good work he was. Um, he was such a good dad, and they 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 cast him so well because he has sort of a everyman face. His name is Josh Hamilton, and he's not been in a ton of stuff that that I've watched. But this is a guy who, in some ways, I hope to be. In that, I'm assuming there's going to come a time in my daughter's life where we just don't have anything to talk about, and there's no natural means of communication. But at dinner, with his daughter sitting there with her earbuds in, he's still trying desperately to make a connection with her, to have a conversation with her. Um, he's very patient. He's very affirming of her. And man, the the best scene in the movie to me about her dad isn't even that speech where he tells her, you know what I said earlier, like, see yourself through my eyes. I wish you could. Uh, that was a Yoda version <laughs> of the speech he gave her. The best scene in the movie for that dad is when the, the teenager she's eating with at the mall Say, don't look now, but there's this weird dude who's been watching us. And we realize that her dad has snuck into the mall and is watching over her. Mm -hmm. And when he's caught, he looks mortified and he tries to get away. And he ends up leaving her because he like, that's what she wants. But he also tries to take care of her. He gives her some money to have a good time with. And he says, text me when you're ready to come home. Like he's ham fisted and bumbling, but man, he's a good dad. And I so appreciated that. Um, And again, praising it again, I I think this does a good job of catching the awkwardness of teenage years. Um, I think it does a good job of showing like how social media is pushing these kids around. There's a really heartbreaking scene in the movie where Kayla gets up in the morning. She goes and does her hair and puts her makeup on and like is moving very uh, robotically because she doesn't want to disturb her hair and makeup. And she hops back into bed, takes a selfie and says, just woke up like this, ugh. And I just thought, man, what tremendous pressure to live your life in front, you know, every moment of your life in front of an audience. And how scary would it be if there wasn't any audience for you when the whole world looked like they were turning out to to see what was going on with other people? So, I mean, it's not true and good that these forces impact these children this way, but this movie does a good job of putting it in front of us with accuracy. I believe, Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you're convinced you're persuaded.
1: No, no. I think all these are, these aren't bad things. These are good things,
0: but I mean, it sounds
1: like you're whitewashing something. I mean, she treated her dad like trash for most of the movie. Yep. I agree. Um, and, uh, I mean, that just that flew all over me. Wanted to, I mean, you. I know you had empathy for her and I had empathy for her somewhat, too, but not as much because of that, because of the I mean, she was just, she was awful
0: to him. She More absolutely like a, was awful to her dad. But I mean, let me ask you, though, how do you feel like you treated your parents in eighth, ninth, tenth grade? Um, I treated my mom poorly. I treated my mom very poorly as well. But. Not
1: nothing comparable to what this girl did. Um, I mean, seriously, nothing. I don't know.
0: I think mom would have knocked me out. <laughs> well, yeah. So I didn't. Yeah. There's certain things I couldn't have gotten away with saying. Right. Sure. But in terms of blocking them out, treating them like they were an enemy rather than a help, not treating them with respect, not going to them as a counselor, not giving them the kind of access to my life that that a child really needs a parent to to have. I mean, I did every bit of that, and I did. I also said things that were just ridiculously hateful and ungrateful. My my mom bore a lot of weight for her sinful son in those same years for me. So maybe that is why I can resonate with Kayla and feel empathetic towards her. You're right; she's awful, but I think she's awful in a way that looks like something close to typical adolescence. Hmm. I mean, like she's not. She's not stealing from her dad. She's not, um, you know, participating in like sessions of making fun of him. She's not attempting to sabotage. Like, you know, we we know stories where like children attack their parents. She's not that. She's alienated from him, but she's also not uh, she's not a monster. Does that make sense? Sure. So you're I don't think you're wrong. I just think it probably landed with me a little bit differently. Um Actually, for me, question three and question four are going to be a little bit blended. So what is good, true and awesome here? The next question is what's distorted, evil and false? How can I subvert idolatry? I'm going to say that this movie presents a lot of idols that are evil and false, but it does so in a way that's really helpful. So with that in mind, let me uh, let me turn that over to you first. What's distorted, evil and false here? How do we subvert idolatry? I think uh, finding one's identity in
1: yourself or anyone else is wicked. Um, What Kayla doesn't realize is that the kids that she despised uh, for not thinking she was awesome or they didn't treat her with dignity, they were simply pursuing their own authentic selves. Um, So therefore, seeking to, you know, being your own authentic self isn't really being your own authentic self if someone else is um, the, the one who is... Um, determining the definition. And so it's kind of fitting in someone else's mold. Um, you know, she she wanted the, even when she goes and rebukes the cool kids, mm-hmm. she's telling them what kind of mold she expects them to be in. Sure. And then, and so it's this, I guess what I'm saying is, is the, what this movie's arguing is just circular. You're, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of at, well, you've got to, you're supposed to treat everyone well, everyone with dignity, everybody should be able to be who they want to be. But eventually those intersect with one another. And the definitions of um, be who you want to be, unless it hurts someone else, even that definition is um, who's the person who is forming that and gets to set those uh, I guess what I'm saying is, man, it's inconsistent logic because when you set boundaries on being your authentic self, you don't really get to be your authentic self. And so it's, uh, so I, I think that's what this movie is somewhat arguing, at least what she
0: seems to be pursuing.
1: Um, but
0: yeah, I think that's at the very heart of this thing, and I kind of think that's the that's a really good way. You know, the the internal contradiction there is kind of a good way to to think through what it means to grow into adulthood you you need desperately to know who you are. But when, if you're the one manufacturing who you are, you're undermining that, you know, you're undermining the ability you have to get what you actually need in terms mm-hmm. of your, uh, your identity And man She just It's so good uh, It's so accurate In the way that This movie puts it In front of us You're right That she Sort of does To other people What they're doing To her And that she she does, She's not comfortable with So she doesn't Really learn Like she can't Step outside of herself To see those people uh, As similar to herself mm-hmm. uh, So that's all true I just think that That is That's authentic <laughs> Like that That looks like This stage of life Um, I was just going through the way this movie is structured, and I think there are uh, uh, six, I guess, attempts at an identity that Kayla, or excuse me, there's five attempts at identity that Kayla reaches for, and there's a sixth that's in the movie, and it's very timely, so the first thing we know about her is that she's a young lady who's making these videos as an advice girl, trying to give this Impression of herself that she has it all together and that she knows the answer. So she's talking about, you know, putting yourself out there and how to make friends and all that. But when we see her at school, her head's down. She doesn't have any friends. She won the most quiet award when when her crush walks by because he won an award. She can't even articulate good job in a way that he can hear. You know (laughs) what I mean? That's funny. Yeah. And uh, so she's she's tried to do the the social media influencer thing. That ends up falling flat. We can see it's not working for her as a social media star because no one is turning in to to watch her videos. So she she has this chance encounter because of the good guy that her dad is with the popular girl's mom. She gets an invitation to uh, a pool party. She musters up the strength to go in there uh, she participates in the party but wants to go home before her her crush convinces her to go back in with the group and sing karaoke. Well she goes in, his hand at the mic, she sings karaoke and I think for her this looks like a chance to turn over a new leaf that maybe she's gonna be accepted into the popular crowd. Mm-hmm. So she writes a note to the cool girl and gives it to her and it's there's no response whatsoever. she's she's it's not a new leaf. She was just there for a little while. Uh, among the cool kids, but she's back on the margins, so it's a dead end for her. Mm-hmm. Well, there's always Aiden, and we can tell from her first video that she she really wants to have a boyfriend. So we've we've run through two identities already: social media star that flopped, cool girl that at school that flopped. So now she thinks, well, maybe I'll get an identity by being this. You know, uh, attractive guy's girlfriend, and this is where you really see her uh, capacity for foolishness and wickedness that this girl in the hallway says that her crush is a jerk because he he broke up with a girl because that girl wouldn't send nude pictures of herself to him. Kayla doesn't see that the way she should and see that this is predatory behavior she gravitates towards it. So she, she figures out how to put herself next to him and painfully raises the idea in his mind that she has nude photos. And then he propositions her sexually and she's like, Oh yeah, definitely. Even though she doesn't know what she's talking about. And that leads to her going to figure out oral sex or trying to anyway, but that's a dead end for her too. So we're you know, with three identities in, she gets to go to visit high school for a day. The young lady who is a high schooler who's supposed to show her around the school seems like another port in the storm because she, she dotes on Kayla and then invites her to hang out with them. But we find out that this high school girl is it's just really empty and hollow. Her affections for Kayla superficial because she is being kind to her, but she just doesn't know how to care for her. So she leaves her in the car with a high school student who, as soon as, you know, Kayla's ostensible friend gets out of the vehicle, he hops in the back seat and tries to get Kayla to take her take her shirt off. And. You know, at this point, I feel like this movie has put in front of us some of the guys that are out there uh, preying on young women. Right. So there's Aiden, who's a younger version, but he's just a guy who uh, her crush, he's just there to exploit young ladies for his own interests. And then when this older high school student is taking her home after she refuses to undress for him, he tells her, I was trying to do this for you. And this way, it won't be awkward for you the first time you're, you know, making out with a boy. And that, I mean, to me, Jared, I know I'm kind of monologuing here. To me, that is what our society is largely saying to women. You go hypersexualized, sexualized and it's going to be good for you. Meanwhile, the most predatory guys in the world are celebrating because... Women are presenting themselves in the most secu- sexualized fashion in human history, basically, right? Like the, the perverts kind of won among the guys because now mm-hmm. feminine sexuality on display 24-7 is what we think of as empowered femininity. Does that make sense to you? Like, we're doing this for you. Yeah, it does so much so. I read, I can't remember, I think it was earlier
1: today, Louis C.K. evidently gave an STD to a girl he had a one-night stand with, and somehow his, his emails got released that he had back and forth with her. Oh, my. And um, he basically says to her that he's sorry if he gave it to her. He doesn't know if he gave it to her. He said, but pretty much everybody's got these things. It's kind of the life that we're in now. Like, and I, I it just blew my mind, the things that he was saying. Like, like, this is just kind of accepted now that if you're that we're all going to have STDs. And I, it just it might it grossed me out really bad. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, to have so many partners that you don't even know if. If this person gave it to you or if you gave it to them, I mean, it was just it really peeled the veneer back on Hollywood a little bit. And H- or hookup culture.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, I just yeah, it's gr- nasty. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think but, a, but anyway. a previous age saw men who wanted to make use of women sexually without honoring them as people. Mm -hmm. It seems like our age is pushing really hard for women to also participate in that and see it as empowering. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that kid who, who tries to get Kayla to take her shirt off is a, is a pretty perfect embodiment of that. I did this for you. This was for you. Um, But it leaves her devastated. And at that point we've gone through social media star, cool girl at school, Aiden's girlfriend, Kind of a high a plaything for this high school student who's a patron for her uh, in in the in the young lady who showed her around the high school and then there's this she had an opportunity and she rejected it to be just a sexual object for the gratification of this older boy and by the time she goes through all of those she's just broken. Uh, all her options are exhausted. She's even, I think, seen sort of the end of what some of this brings Mm -hmm. in the backseat of that car. And she goes home to burn her hopes and dreams, but she talks to her dad and her dad tells her he loves her. And her dad tells her that who she is is actually his daughter, who he deeply loves and sees such wonderful qualities in. And I think when she gets up to go sit in his lap, all the idols that are buffeting, uh, adolescents, they've been exposed and shown as empty, but she actually finds some stability and some refuge in the words of her father. And I think, so I think by the time we get back around to the next video, again, her, her hope for the future is restored. And I think she's learned some stuff. Like she says to, she makes another video to be watched a year later. And she says to her, do you have a boyfriend? If you do, he better be treating you well because you deserve it. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's different. I think she's learned some stuff. She, has, she still wants to, to be in a in a romantic relationship, but she realizes it can't be. It can't be at all costs that there's something about her dignity, I think, again, restored by the words of her father, that means, yeah, it'd be good to have a romantic relationship. And I'm just using this as an example. But it has to come with certain parameters that are safer and that, that afford her dignity. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I think what's false and evil here, the movie actually says, look, this is false and evil. And I, I think that's a good thing. So again, I'm I'm kind of blurring the, the third and fourth questions we asked there. Mm-hmm. Um, Anything on what's evil in this movie that we hadn't talked about? Um,
1: I don't know that it's evil, but, you know, her dad at the beginning of the movie, when we first see him, he tells her this stuff, how awesome she is and how she's so much better than he was at her age, so much more creative, so much more. And uh, she just doesn't listen to him and tells him to shut up. And so she basically has to learn the hard way um, all this stuff. And uh, thankfully she listens to him, but it's after, like you said, it's after she's broken later on down the road. Um, And so I don't know that that's necessarily distorted evil um, people. Man, I I hope my kids learn from me instead of having to
0: learn the hard way. Right. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, I really do think even for the, the grossness of this movie and how awkward it would be. Uh, I think if I had kids a little bit older, I would watch this movie with them. I think we would we'd talk about it and try to kind of sort through, like, do you see what's going on here? Can we learn anything from this? I'm, I, a friend of mine bought me K- uh, Karen Pryor's book from last year called On Reading Well. And mm-hmm. she says that one of the great advantages of reading and she cites people like Plato who are saying this, too. Um, one of the great advantages of reading is that it lets us participate in virtue and in some ways in vice without actually participating in virtue and vice so that we know how to handle those things when we run into them in the real world. And I think this movie, I think this movie presents that opportunity to parents and children. If, uh, if the parents are comfortable watching it with them, mm. I um, have to think on that some. Yeah. Now you may not agree. I'm just thinking through how I would use this if my kids were of comparable age. Um, Okay, so how does the gospel apply, Jared? I think our identity has to be objective, Um,
1: not something that we are searching for particularly, but something that is told to us from the one who made us. And then we can realize and pursue what we want to do in line with His glory as the goal. And so we, we don't have to base it on social media, Hollywood, what is cool now, Uh, You can base it on objective realities and ultimately in Christ and who he says I am and who he's making me to be. There's great freedom in that. Good grief. What I see in this movie is the slavery of adolescence, the slavery of Mm -hmm. caring what other folks think so much so that you're willing to bend to their will or you're willing to force others to bend to your will. That's kind of this jockeying back and forth Um, in, in teenage life where you're trying to fit, you're trying to you know, become your own mold and try to fit other people in it, or you're trying to fit in other people's molds. And, um, it's really, it's miserable. It reminded me a lot of growing up. Uh, and I, those were not happy times or good times. Um, you know, life especially seventh grade. Seventh grade was really hard for me. You know, they had that dreadful it was your eighth grade year, that dreadful seventh grade year they put us in different mods and so all my friends I grew up with were in the other mods, so I never saw them at school. I had to make entirely new friends. I was a little kid and uh, got bullied and it was just rough seventh grade year. And I think your eighth grade year was like that.
0: Is that right? Yeah. Now I had, thankfully, I had more friends there, but I also had people I was in open conflict with in eighth grade. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember our friend Terry, who listeners of this podcast have heard on our upgrade episode, um, and who may hear more from in in, in two thousand nineteen from pop culture Corumdale. He had a similar experience in seventh grade, where he was just stuck in a mod where he didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. And I wish he not. See, we
1: we didn't become good friends until probably. Eleventh grade, maybe, mm. and uh, but so, y'all were in uh, that same mod together. We man. were in the same mod together, man. Yeah, and I'd been—I hung out with all the. Well, I've <sighs> tried to tell my son, Caden, Man, I hung out with all. They were all potheads. heads, and um, none of them finished high school. All my buddies in seventh grade—they mm. yeah. all. I think my freshman year, they were all—they all dropped out, and uh, it really is remarkable. Like growing up, man, I had a neighbor that would come to my house. And he would huff gas before we got on the school bus. Uh, first time I was offered marijuana was in fourth grade at Cassville. And um, it's just amazing. You know, that was that was what, 30 years ago or, you know, close to 30 years ago. And today I can't imagine what kids are being offered. And. um it just, so I'm trying to postpone that. Anyway, I'm kind of, I am not mean to go on excursus here, man, but um, it, it is freeing. If I had understood that my identity was in who God says I am and in who Christ is making me to be and who I am in Him eternally by the, uni- the Holy Spirit uniting me to Him, man, that would have been so freeing if I could wrap my mind and heart around that because um, I don't have to bow down. Um, to the cool kids or the potheads or the whoever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And even, even today, like you think of in pastoring and preaching, um, we don't have to go with the latest fad or be like the latest cool preacher, or be like um, the latest, greatest uh, church in the community. Or It's very freeing to enjoy the objective realities that we know to be true concerning Christ. And I, I guess that's what I gather, like, that, that's where the gospel comes in in this movie, is that the, I don't think this movie hits on objective identity. Um, I, I don't think it ends on objective identity. And that needs to be both the start and the finish if someone is going to have true joy and identity that perseveres.
0: Yeah, well, so much of that is exactly what I think is right here. I, you know, we've talked about it already. I think the identity that gives us at a very young age or in a very old age, the kind of stability we're hoping for is the identity that our Heavenly Father not only communicates to us, but actually creates for us in Christ. So like when Kayla's dad is telling her, you're awesome. You're so much smarter than I was. Uh, Your videos are great. I actually think he believes that. Mm -hmm. Because when I look at the stuff my oldest son, for instance, creates artistically, I know right now, 37 years old, I could not replicate that. I couldn't do as well. And I'm blown away that he does it at such a young age. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: When I think about my kids, it's easy for me to think how awesome they are. So I think he's telling her the truth. He's not just kind of giving her what she wants to hear so she'll connect with him. But having said that, she has very real wickednesses and a wickedness that lives within her that is part of who she is that is not awesome in fact it's damnable. He can't do anything about that really, right He can sort of point her in the right direction, steer her in a healthier direction, but he can't stop her from being fallen mm-hmm. the The heavenly father can. He gives you an alien righteousness that his only begotten son earned. And then his spirit moves in within you to make who you are internally match what he has made you externally in his son. Mm -hmm. And so I think this movie, you're right, it doesn't end on objective identity. But I think it is pushing in that direction as best a secular movie can. That, you know, the, the the earthly father is supposed to be a small scale model of the heavenly father. And in this movie, we get a small scale version of a good father intervening on behalf of his children to recalibrate her to who she actually is. And it makes me think of the fuller and richer version of that we have in the gospel. That's not just important in eighth grade, but important at every stage of life, including right before you die and you're you're needing someone to care for you when all other helpers are exhausted. So I think this movie, I do think there's a lot of room to talk about the gospel. If you're a believer, listen to this podcast, and you're trying to think through how do I talk to a lost person about the gospel, I think this movie is really good to say. You remember how Kayla was looking for an identity everywhere and couldn't find it, and it even put her in danger, some of the places she was looking for it? You remember how her dad said, let me show you what you look like in my eyes, and that gave her some stability and some hope? I think that's a really easy stepping place to to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ and I think if you're a Christian just thinking about this movie, it's a real easy invitation to consider who you are in Christ and how gracious God has been to give you that. And then how faithful he is to keep you in it and how safe you are in his affections. And so I think there's a lot of room for gospel conversation here. I think there's a lot of room for worship. Hmm. Uh, Jared, scale of one to ten, what would you put on eighth grade? Um, I'd give it a four. I think I'd give this an eight and a half.
2: Hmm.
0: Uh, listener, you've got to get in touch with us and weigh in on this. I love this movie. I think it's one of the best I've seen in a long time. Jared thinks it's a little bit better than Hot Garbage. I think it's going to be very polarizing. I don't think there's going to be any mid-range mid, mid range folks. It's going to be you either love it or hate it. <laughs> that may very well be true. I'm suspicious this movie is going to do well in award season. You're probably right, buddy. You're probably right. But that doesn't mean a whole lot. (laughs) Oh, I don't think that's the case. They don't always get it right, but they don't always get it wrong either. I get it more wrong than right. (laughs) Oh, do they? Maybe they do. Anyway, we don't care what the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice and the Oscar Academy has to say. We want to know what you listeners think. That's right. So get after us on Twitter at PCCD Pod, or really, we would love to connect with you on Facebook in our Facebook group. And I get it; some of you who are hearing that for the first time are going, "Look, there's no good reason to get on Facebook." I'm about to give you one: the Pop Culture Quorum Day. Perpetual After Party is one of the best things going on Facebook. And there we have longer form discussions about movies, their meanings, other things in pop culture that we want to talk about. We would love to connect with you guys on there. So find uh, our Facebook page, Facebook page dot <laughs> Facebook page dot com. It is too late at night for me to be. <laughs> Walking through this spiel, facebook.com forward slash PC CD pod. That's our Facebook page. You get updates about the show and what Jared and I are doing with it there. But there's a, there's a little blue button right below the the banner at the top of the page. It says visit group. You click that. It'll take you to our Facebook group and we would love to hear from you in there. So please let us know. Uh, Do you love it or do you hate it when it comes to eighth grade? We need to know. And I'll, and I'm looking forward to hearing all of you tell Jared how wrong he is. <laughs> Jared, outside the world of uh, pop culture, Corndale, where can our listeners connect with you? You can find me on Twitter at Jared H. Moore. You can find
1: me on Facebook at All Truth is God's Truth. I've got another podcast called All Truth <laughs> is God's Truth. Check it out and um, interact with Jeff and I. We would love to uh, talk talk with you, chat with you, tell your friends and family if you enjoy the podcast. Uh, give us a shout out online. And uh, we we really want to get these resources in the hands of the church you want to help we want to help Christians who are participating in pop culture already to form and apply a consistent Christian worldview to the pop culture they're already engaging so they then can think rightly about all of life I mean it really is this really is a fun Avenue to develop a Christian worldview and if you can develop a Christian worldview in engaging pop culture you'll find that you can then apply that same worldview to every Avenue of life because pop culture is the pulse of what's going on And and many of the contemporary issues that are going
0: on and the ones that are coming down the pike a few years from now. Absolutely. And again, because so many people are participating in popular culture, that's why it's pop culture. It gives you a lot of conversation room and fodder for sharing the gospel with your unbelieving uh, neighbor who you're called to love as yourself. You may not have much in common with them, but you're probably watching some of the same movies. We use those as uh, bridges, launching points to talk to them about the gospel of Christ. Hopefully we're helping you think through that. A little bit here on the podcast, and we hope that uh, those things are being practiced. In your lives, not because uh, of us, but because that's the calling we have to make disciples mm-hmm. as Christians. So. All right, Jared, anything else you got to say? What's next, man? Well, I think we're going down to see what's happening with uh, Mrs. Shyamalan's baby in his latest, right? That's latest. right. So, guys, we, uh, we, we're we looking at covering glass on our next episode. One other note for those of you who may be going down to the G3 conference in Atlanta uh, that's taking place January the 17th through the 19th, I'll be down there and I've got a button that friend of the podcast, Kevin Mollahan made for, for me to wear and a few extra to give away that have our, our podcast logo on it. So if you see a guy walking around with the pop culture corndale logo on a button on his lapel, come say hi. And uh, if you want one of those buttons and I have a few left over, I'll be happy to hand them out to you. So look for me. If you're down at G3, when we get back from G3, we'll sit down and record about shopping Alon's late, just a glass. Jared, brother, anything left to say? That's it, buddy. Enjoyed it. All right, listeners, thank you for tuning in. We hope that you enjoyed the episode and the conversation. We'd love to continue it with you. Uh, we look forward to being back with you next time. Thanks for listening.